But hello there, friend, and welcome to the Cultivating Jewels podcast. This show is all about embracing the promise of abundance and cultivating what really matters in life. I'm your host, Amber Durgan, and together we will discuss what it means to be women devoting ourselves to Christ through all the various roles we play. I'm so excited you have joined me today and cannot wait to uncover the jewels that are sure to be ours. Welcome. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Cultivating Jewels podcast. I am so excited you are here and so excited it's another Thursday to share with you more of our friendship book. If you've missed the last several episodes, you might not know that we are in the middle of a series, which I am doing with my best friend, Rebecca Hargrave. Our book, Friendship Matters, Cultivating Meaningful Connections in an Isolated World, released in January of 2021. And so this summer, we were walking through each chapter. She wrote half of the chapter. I wrote the other half. We were doing our own section on our podcast. And then when it comes to the two chapters, we each individually wrote one. We will have each other on our podcast. So it's been a lot of fun. Something I don't think I've shared with you all is that when I first got the idea to write this book, our pastor at the time was doing a sermon series on friendship. I have seen more in the recent years on blogs and podcasts and such on friendship. But back then it wasn't as talked about as it needed to be. And so I thought it would be fun to write a book on friendship about friendship. And the only person that came to mind who I would want to write it with is my dear best friend, Miss Rebecca Hargraves. That was a lot of fun to brainstorm ideas and just come up with a book that we felt the Lord laid these messages on our hearts to share with other ladies. This is pretty common knowledge within the writing world, but some people don't realize that just because someone has written a book on something does not automatically make them the expert. Now, of course, sometimes there are going to be books where someone has spent a lot of time researching and therefore they have more expertise than the average Joe. But when it comes to a book such as Friendship, Rebecca and I were not setting ourselves up to be the experts in this field. Our hearts are really just to come alongside you and encourage you and inspire you and cheer you on in your own friendships because we both know the goodness, the life-giving blessing that friendship is. We so desire for every woman to be able to experience really what God had in store and in mind for us as we go about making friends. So this book is really a combination of Bible study. We glean a lot from the Bible in this book, as well as just practical tips and ideas of how we can enrich and better ourselves as a friend and how we can then bring those into friendship and better the relationship. The last episode, we talked a lot about ourselves, what we can do. We began the episode by talking about the blessings of friendship, which are multiple. In this chapter, I just included a few, such as friends being able to help when family cannot, friends helping us to cope, learning from each other, friends improving our health. And then we moved on to what we can better do ourselves as friends such as a large part of the episode last time is dedicated to listening and learning best listening practices. We also talked about how we can study people and really get to know people so that people will be drawn to us and want to be our friends because they know that we are going to care about them. They know that they will be heard and understood and loved. This chapter, chapter four then, 
talks a lot about how we can be friends with Jesus. In fact, the chapter is entitled, Growing in Your Friendships by Jesus' Example. Have you ever meandered through a well-established garden, taking the time to stop and smell the roses, notice the color of the irises, and gasp as a butterfly gracefully floats through the air above you? I learned from my garden-loving grandmother, who always had the most beautiful rock gardens, that while they are beautiful, gardening takes a lot of work. There are weeds to pull, soil to cultivate, plants to water, pests to remove, and weather to watch in an effort to create what others see as a simple garden. Similar to a garden, our friendships take cultivation and care to grow into life-giving connections in our lives. It is the image of the garden that I want you to carry with you as we work our way through the rest of this chapter. In this chapter, we will talk about being a friend of Jesus and cultivating life-giving friendships. We spent some time in the last chapter, so last week's episode, looking at the blessing of friendship and how it is important to be that type of person who draws others into our lives as friends. Now we are having the opportunity to sow that knowledge, if you will. We will reap what we sow, so let's make sure we are sowing seeds of beauty in the friendship gardens of our life. After I read that earlier today, I did have to chuckle a bit because if you go onto my Instagram, one of the last posts I did is on a gardening metaphor of some sort and I was talking to one of my dear friends over brunch this weekend who is also an amazing gardener her yard is like what dreams are made of Um, and she was just telling me how good garden metaphors are when it comes to our walks with the Lord well apparently I'm a fan because not only did I use it in Instagram this week but I also used it when I was writing this chapter before we do go any further into this chapter, though, I wanted to make a note that if you have not listened to Rebecca's podcast from yesterday on her portion of this chapter, you'll really want to make sure you go take time to do that. She does an excellent job of explaining why Christian friendships are important and how to grow deeper in our friendships. Going back a bit now to gardening metaphors, it's not lost on me that the Bible starts in a garden. Right, we read about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and I just imagine what a beautiful place that could be, because not only wasn't the Lord's creation, which we still know today to be awe-inspiringly beautiful, but that was before the world was touched by brokenness, so it was even that much more beautiful. Gardens throughout the Bible are actually used to symbolize places of belonging, provision, and beauty. There's a strong parallel. I believe at least, between relationships and gardening. We talked a little bit about how both take work, how both can and should be beautiful, but we have to work at it. It's not just something that springs up without any effort. But at the same time, much like our relationship with Christ, it's not something that can be forced. God wants us to be in friendship with him, but he also gave us free will. He doesn't force us to follow him any more than we can force our gardens to grow and bloom like we would like them to. Christianity, as we know, is the only religion that focuses on humans having a personal friendship or relationship with God. We know that it was God who first called Abraham his friend, even though through the human mind, being a friend of God was a foreign concept and even could have been one that borderline on blasphemy. Side note, but as I was reading Francine Rivers' Mark of the Lion series last winter, Something that really stuck out to me was just how much believers of other gods had to really serve their gods, even to the point of hurting themselves to please these quote-unquote gods. 
And yes, while we are called to serve our God and while we are called to even lay down our lives for God, God doesn't want us hurting ourselves to bring some kind of service to God. That does not bring pleasure to God. The 15th chapter of the Gospel of John, verses 13 through 15, reads, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. I would highly encourage you that if you have not looked into this aspect of a relationship with God, if you have never considered yourself a friend of God, that you would do a Bible study, you would take out your Bible and do a deep dive into what it means to be God's friend. Of course, we're going to start that on the podcast, but to really go in deep, I don't have the ability to do that within the confines of the podcast. Something I really appreciate about this chapter in our book is that Rebecca took time to speak about how we can grow in our earthly friendships, and I took time to speak on how we can grow in our friendship with God. Please don't hear me tooting our own horn, but I really do think it does a good job of encompassing the beauty of friendships in our life. Again, both with people and with God. I am not sure about you, but when someone says the word friends, or for whatever reason I'm thinking of the word friends, I don't usually conjure up in my head the image of God being my friend. Even though I know logically he is, it's not something that comes to mind when I hear the word friend. Usually I think of my in-person friends. So let's take a moment just to learn how we can grow in our relationship with God. Because obviously we're not necessarily calling God up on the phone and asking him to come over for coffee or for a meal, to go to a movie, to go shopping. We might bring God into those activities through prayer, but there's a difference in how we go about growing our personal relationships with people and our personal friendship and relationship with God. To carry on with the gardening metaphor, our master gardener God has given us a field guide, if you will, the Bible, his word, telling us how we can grow in our relationship with him. I've said this often, but I just love a quote. An old pastor of mine would say, the Bible is all about love of God and love of others and everything else is a footnote. As we know, to grow in a relationship of any sort, it's important to spend time together and to really get to know the other person. We have been given the blessing and the ability to freely meet daily with God and to find him on the pages of the scripture. He has given us his word to nourish our souls. If we think about nourishment from a physical standpoint, if we go without nourishment, if we go without food and water for very long, we start seeing symptoms crop up physically, right? We start seeing headaches. We might experience fatigue. If we really go without food, as females, we'll lose our periods. There's a lot of damage that can be done when we go without nourishment. Same thing when we go without spiritual nourishment. We don't think about this often in our hustle culture. In a culture that's completely turned their back on anything having to do with a Christian God. But the same is very much true when we leave our Bibles on the shelves to collect dust. Newsflash, the Bible is anything but boring. This weekend, actually during our sermon, I looked at my husband and said, And people think the Bible's boring? No matter how many times I read the same passage, for instance, I read the Proverbs through every month, so I've read them a lot. I've done that for like 10 years or so now. But I can tell you that every single time I read through chapters in Proverbs or various other chapters I've read in the Bible previously, I always come away with something new. The Holy Spirit is so good 
at carrying through with the promise of the Lord found in Isaiah that his word will not return void. I really do think we as a Christian people, especially probably as 21st century believers, have made it too easy not to be in the word daily. But how often, on the other hand, are we scrolling social media or watching Netflix? We seem to think that's where the entertainment value is found and just leave our Bibles on the shelf to collect dust. And we wonder why our society is in the place it is now. We wonder where Christian, strong Christian people have gone. We wonder why we are not growing in the Lord. Listen, I'm going to shoot straight with you. You're not going to grow in the Lord if you're starving your soul of nourishment. You will not grow in the Lord if you're not reading your Bible. The Bible is better than any other love story, any other adventure story, any other thriller. It's the Lord's story of how he created us and how he then redeemed us. And it's beautiful. If you are not in a daily habit of reading your Bible, can I encourage you? Even just open your Bible to the Gospel of John and read a few verses. Or flip to the Psalms and read a psalm a day. It is when we neglect to spend time reading and studying the Bible that we begin noticing distance become a thing in our relationship with God. My encouragement to you and to all believers is the daily feast on the bread, on the word of God. In connection with our Bible reading, prayer is how we communicate to God. So God talks to us through one of the ways, reading our Bibles. How we communicate then back with God is through prayer. Psalm 16, 6-7 reads, I call upon you, for you answer me. O God, incline your ear to me. Hear my words. Wondrously show me your steadfast love. O Savior of those who seek refuge from their adversaries at your right hand. How beautiful is it that as the creation, we are able to share our hearts with the Creator. I have learned so much about prayer, the power of which, the purpose of which, this last year, hopefully this fall, I can do a whole podcast episode on prayer. But I can tell you as Christians, super underutilize these gifts we've been given. So many of us Christians are living lukewarm lives where for whatever reason, we find ourselves sitting on the sidelines, afraid to go all in with our relationship with God. Ladies, it's time to get off the bench. It is time to make our friendship with God the most important relationship in our life. If we think about the Gospels when it's teaching about Jesus's relationship with his earthly father, God, it shows us how often Jesus drew away to spend time in prayer and communication with God. If it was that important for Jesus, it's all the more important for us. Being that I am a quotes girl, I went to Pinterest and pulled up quotes on prayer. I wanted to share a few of them with you just because I think it just adds even more of a rich understanding to this topic. So D.L. Moody, who, if you don't know that name, he was an American evangelist who founded things such as the Moody Church and Moody Publishing Company. He has been quoted as saying, every great movement of God can be traced to a kneeling figure. How amazing is that? It's not saying that God absolutely will not move unless we pray. Right? God doesn't really need us at all. He can do whatever he wishes. But our prayers avail so much. Hopefully, I'm really hopeful that this fall I can do a whole episode, if not series, on prayer because this is such a deeper topic than we have time for today. I want you to be encouraged that prayer is something you should be adding into your daily 
Charles Spurgeon went as far as saying, neglect of private prayer is a locust that devours the strength of the church. That's kind of amazing. The Lord has really been working in my heart over the last six months or so with the concept of church and how we can improve. I think it's really easy, maybe especially if we go to a church that's amazing, to think that all churches are like that and to think that we don't have room to improve. But let me tell you, even if your church was the most amazing on the planet, because it is full of broken people, full of sinners saved by grace, if you will, there's always going to be room to improve. And prayer is going to vastly further that improvement. A few more quotes on prayer. I'm not sure who said these two, but I love them. Pray hardest when it's hardest to pray. Right? Our enemy's going to work against us. He's not going to want us in communication with God. So he's going to work against us. He's going to make us tired. He's going to fill our schedule with all kinds of other things to do. But to sit down and have intentional praying time. And it doesn't even have to be some huge religious ceremony. It's not what I'm saying. You can pray as you're going about your daily tasks. To get prayer in regardless of how you do it. It's going to be hard. But it's always, 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 always going to be worth it. The other is, why wish upon a star when you can pray to the one who created it? Isn't that amazing? We have the opportunity to pray to the creator of the universe. Like, If that does not get you excited about prayer, I don't know what will. So just as a quick recap, we've talked about how we can grow in our relationship with God this morning. We've talked about being in the Bible, being in the Word, reading the Word of God, and then also being in communication with God through the use of prayer. Now we're going to turn our attention to worship, which technically both of reading our Bible and praying are forms of worship, yes. I think, at least for me, when I hear the word of worship or when someone says, how was worship in church this morning? I always think of music. It's just automatically in my head tied to music. First Chronicles 16, 23 through 31. I'm going to read this to you because I think we can get a lot from this passage. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nation, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but God made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord due to his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. And let them say among the nation, the Lord reigns. A resource I use time and time again in my writing is Noah Webster's 1828 Dictionary, which defines worship as honoring with extravagant love and extreme submission. In the passage from First Chronicles that I just finished reading, it talks about singing to the Lord. It talks about declaring his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among the people. It talks about ascribing to the Lord glory and strength that are due to his name. Worship the Lord in splendor of holiness. It talks about trembling before him. Let the nations be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. We are to be glad to take joy in the work of the Lord. So various forms of worship then might look like sitting with a friend and sharing what the Lord is doing in your life. It might look like giving to someone in need because the Lord has given you a surplus. It may look like going on a drive and noticing wildflowers and the sunset and the sun sending sparkles across the water. It could look like creating. It could look like painting or 
dancing or doing pottery or anything really, as Noah Webster says, that honors God with extravagant love. Really, even, and this may be becoming my favorite form of worship, taking joy in the beauty of the Lord. Taking joy because there's a blue sky outside. Taking joy at my children's laughter. Taking joy at wildflowers. Tying this back to our friendship with God, think of when we are together with a girlfriend of ours and how when we comment on, oh, I love your purse. Oh, I love your shoes. Oh, your heart in that moment was really beautiful. Right? I'm not saying we're worshiping them at all. I'm saying that when we ascribe the Lord, who our worship is due, the same joy in him how good that makes his heart feel or if you're a mama you can think of when your children who don't have to but your children turn around and say thank you mama for xyz how much joy that brings to your heart very similar with god our father matthew 22:37. many of us know this verse you shall love the lord your god with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind I believe when we're really living into cultivating a relationship with Jesus, we're truly following that command best. God isn't looking for perfection. He's not wanting our legalism. He doesn't want us putting him in a box or following a bunch of man-made rules. He wants us to be his friend. He wants us to take joy in following him. He wants us to turn back and thank him for the many, many, many blessings he's given us. So really, when we're talking about growing in our relationship with the Lord, Bible reading, prayer, and worship is where it's at. Going further into the chapter now, the next section is entitled Growing Fruit, and I thought it would be fun to further explore this garden theme we have going on. In Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, Paul mentions the fruit of the Spirit, which are, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. It is when we grow in our relationship, our friendship with the Lord, when these fruits of the Spirit are cultivated, we become more like God. Our sanctification journey is to be holy as He is holy. We are on a journey to every day lose more of our sinful nature and become more and more like Christ. And again, just tying that back into human friendships, we can think about how easy it is when we're hanging out with someone a lot We pick up on some of their characteristics, some of their personality, and our personality, which is ever-growing and evolving, can change. I remember when I was first married, I must have been married for like a year or two, my mom looked at me and said, Amber, since you've been married, you've changed. And at first I thought that was kind of a bad thing, but really the more I thought of it, what a beautiful concept that when we are in iron sharpens iron friendships or our marriage really any type of relationship that has the iron sharpens iron characteristic, we will change. I just think it's so, there's something beautiful to that. There's something almost holy to the fact that the Lord uses other people to shape and direct us. And also that can be a sobering thought because we as individuals then have the power to shape and direct others, which means we ought to be living as closely to the Lord as we can, growing as many of these fruits of the Spirit as we can, so that our influences on others will be good, will be Christ-like. Because the opposite of the fruits of the Spirit are things like hate and bitterness, anxiety and rudeness, things that have power to destroy our friendships. And friend, 
These fruits are not going to grow overnight. These fruits are not even something we can force grow ourselves. These fruits come about when we're walking in friendship with the Lord. The Holy Spirit grows them and cultivates them and nourishes them into our lives. All right? We've all been in situations where we think, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be patient. I'm not going to lose my cool. I'm going to be patient. And then, bah! We completely lose it because we can't on our own muster up the fruit of the Spirit. We have to, have to, have to. It is His fruit. He has to grow it in our life. And the only way that's possible is in walking closely with the Lord. Being a friend of God means that we exist in a state of continual cultivation. Changing gears just a little bit, the next topic we talk about within this chapter is friendship with the lost world. In Rebecca's portion of this chapter, she talks about the importance of Christian friendship. I want to take a moment to talk about friendship with the lost world. Something I really love talking about, something I'm passionate about, is the Great Commission. Is looking at how various people within the global church are fulfilling this commission the Lord left us. Go and preach, make disciples in my name, right? The task the Lord left us with was to go make disciples for him. It was not stay inside your Christian bubble and never talk to anyone who's quote-unquote outside the gate. John 3.16, God put his own son on that cross so that whoever shall believe shall have eternal life. It is paramount. Again, I could do a whole nother episode on this. It is paramount that we people who have been saved by the grace of God alone understand the love God has in his heart for those who have yet to come to him. Over our long and somewhat arduous history as a Christian church, again, global church, I'm not talking local churches in this segment, global church, we've had a history of a lot of initiatives to reach the lost, which the heart is good, but how we carried out that task was really bad. The Lord does not want us Bible-thumping people. He does not want us carrying a spirit of judgment towards people who do not yet know his name. It can be really easy to be like, oh my goodness, why are they doing that? That's so bad, blah, 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 blah. Start judging them. We have to remember that they don't know Christ and therefore they're not going to live as a Christian. What we need to do, as the old hymn says, they will know we are Christians by our, not our judgment, not our Bible thumping, our love. We've got to be known as people who love. Faith is not a matter of reason. Faith is in our hearts and our spirits. And now obviously there are people, I believe, like Lee Strobel, who set out to prove God didn't exist and then actually made a case for Christ and came to him because they were logically going about it. But faith in its essence is not a matter of reason. Therefore, trying to logically manipulate Bible them, someone into a relationship with God is not going to work. I was just talking with my husband yesterday because we were talking about projecting ourselves into the future and what we want, like our morals of our family to be, what's really important for us, what then to focus on in homeschool, and something that I did not receive growing up in the church, nor did he, is apologetics. Being able to define why we believe what we do. But as I was talking to him last night, he was like, well, there's only one true God. I'm like, yes, Lance, that's true. We believe that. But someone who doesn't believe that, we're not going to be able to win them to Christ by just saying there's only one true God. Because our world says that there are many true gods. Our God is different. One of the things that sets our God apart so much is his love. You can look at 
any other religion and set it up against Christianity and Christ's love is always going to outshine. In the shadow of the cross, there's no room for anything other than loving others to a God who can change their lives as he is our own. And that's something I think some of us tend to forget. We forget that we too were once lost, that without Christ, what are we? Isaiah tells us that even our best works without Christ are nothing but filthy rags. When trying to reach a lost world, my encouragement is to start with your story, to share it with joy and humility as you share with the Lord where you were and what the Lord has brought you to now and how the Lord continues to work in your life. Some of you grew up in very strong Christian homes and it was just a thing that you became Christian. For, for those of us who that was not the case, think back to the people that encouraged you to the Lord. Would you have been as encouraged if they simply threw scripture at you, judged you, told you why you were wrong, than if they took the time to be in a relationship with you, to initiate relationship, to show you what a difference God makes in their life and therefore what he can do for you in your own life. Again, we could go on and on and on and on. For this podcast, we don't have time to do that today, but I just want to leave you with the truth that yes, we have to have friends they don't even have to be close friends. In fact, we should surround ourselves closest with those who are saved. But we have to make friends with the lost world so that we can win others to Christ. And that in doing so, our friendship with them have to, have to, have to be based on the love of Christ. Really quick side note that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. I recorded the first, I don't know, 14 minutes of this or so last night when the kids were in bed. They're now outside playing. So if you hear... They're joyful noises. They are part of the joy around your everyday life right here on the podcast. Jumping now back into the chapter. A beautiful example of someone coming to the Lord from a difficult past was that of Mary Magdalene. You may have heard rumors of this woman, that she was a prostitute, or that she was possessed by demons, or even that she was married to Jesus. People throughout history have taken what the scriptures have said and twisted it to paint all kinds of stories about this woman. What we do know, actually from scripture, was that Mary had been delivered of demons, yes, and became a disciple of Jesus. Some things we can learn about Jesus because of the friendship he shared with Mary was that Jesus had friendships with women. We need to get out of our 21st century mindset for a second because we're like, well, obviously. But we have to remember in the context and the time and the society that the Bible was written it was very patriarchal to the point women were very looked down upon. The fact that Jesus and Mary Magdalene were friends could be where the idea of them being married originated from. As we know, usually people of opposite genders are not in super close relationships unless there is something romantic at play. But with Jesus, I feel things are just different. Jesus doesn't follow our societal thinking, our societal norms. Women at this time were viewed as useful for bearing and raising children, and really that's about it. And in that time, having a son was the end-all be-all, because that son could then carry on the family name. For Jesus then to have chosen Mary as one of his friends was a big deal. You may be thinking in the back of your mind, what's this mean for me? Am I supposed to build friendships with opposite sex? Because Jesus did. 
where do women belong in God's kingdom? Let's turn to the scriptures now to see what they tell us. We know that God created both men and women to be equal. And our cultures, this is something I've talked about before. This is something I've noticed. Being a boy mom in our culture right now, girls are more favored than boys. If you're not a boy mom, if you don't have children, if you don't have a son, if you have just daughters, you may have not realized this. But again, the example I always fall back on is when I was pregnant with Zach, my second born, and people would say, do you know what you're having? We were on Teen Green with our first, found out with Matthew, or found out with Zach. My example, though, that I fall back on is that when I would answer, yes, it's another boy, people's faces in the church, y'all, in the church, fell. Because what's our American dream? To have a boy first, and then a girl, and then somehow add half of a child, right? 2.5 children, into that, and be done. We do not celebrate families coming in all shapes of sorts of shapes and sizes. We do not celebrate, especially, I would say, all boy families. I have friends on Facebook who have own girls, and it's, oh, they're so cute, and this and that. Right? And I'm not even, I'm not even trying to take this from a place of, Oh, poor me. I could care less what the rest of the world thinks as far as me having two sons. I love them. They're amazing. I could have a whole pass full of boys and be completely fine with it. What I'm trying to make the point of is that throughout history, we've seen rises of girls are better. We've seen rises of boys are better. We've seen times back in the day when our culture was very much more agricultural than it is now, where boys were better because they could provide more help on the farm. We've seen now with a feminist movement especially, where girls are better. God doesn't have this, boys are better, girls are better. He made both to be equal. And you can take that to the bank. It plays into so much. We think about submission in marriage, which again, <laughs> there's so many, oh my goodness, this could be another topic in itself, ideas in this podcast. But we have churches still in our 21st century world who are so darn patriarchal that they will protect a man who has knowingly abused his children and his wife because of their allegiance to patriarchism. That, my friends, is wrong. That is when we have a problem because the woman is told, oh, just submit. No, sir, no, ma'am. Not on my watch. And I'm not even the most feminine. I probably lean more towards patriarchy, old-fashioned beliefs, than I do feminism. Y'all, we're getting all the passion up in this podcast today. Genesis 1.27, we hear this a lot in pro-life arguments, reads, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Without both male and female, the human race would be incomplete. God has special roles for both men and women. In our culture, we have the view that if women are not given the exact same rights and roles as men, they must not be as important, right? That's feminism. Rest assured, sister, that this idea is found nowhere in the Bible. Instead, when we look at the Bible, we find feminism refuted time and time again. All of that last few minutes to say Jesus has a heart for women. Jesus loves women. Jesus created women. We are created with a purpose. Going now a little bit into this idea, we find in our culture that if a male and female are in friendship, there must be some kind of romantic feelings in there somewhere. It's not always the case. It can be, but it's not always the case. As a Christian people, 
we need to be sure that we are very careful not to cross any boundary lines of temptation or fall into sin when we are friends with the opposite gender. Something Lance and I abide by is that we are never alone with a female for him, a male for me. Not because we would automatically do something if we were. We love each other. Our marriage is strong. But because that's just a good idea. In Romans chapter 16, Paul references women who were partners with him in ministry, such as Priscilla, Mary, Junia, Tryphina, Persis, Julia, and more, all mentioned within the single chapter of the New Testament. We've got to lose this idea then of males not being allowed to be friendly towards females, females not being friends with males. The body of Christ works because both genders are celebrated. We are to love our male counterparts as brothers in the Lord. We are to all work together as a body of Christ in this world. Another thing, and we've already talked about this a little, that we can learn from Jesus' friendship with Mary Magdalene is that he has a heart and a love for sinners. He loved Mary Magdalene just as well as he loves all the rest of us sinners into repentance. This month we hear a lot of if you don't support XYZ's sin, you're a bigot. If you don't support XYZ's sin, you are hateful. Many of us know that it's not the case at all. Tolerance is not the same thing as love. The difference can be summed up in the old Christian cliche, love the sinner, hate the sin. We are called to love people from all walks of life. We're not called to condone their sin. Matthew 9 verse 12, Jesus said he did not come for the well, he came for the sick, for the sinner. But we also know that Jesus did not allow them to stay sick. We all have to lay our sickness of sin down at the foot of the cross and walk into sanctification with the Lord. Now that we have thoroughly discussed our friendship with Jesus and how we are to love a lost world, let's turn our focus to friendship with others. In previous chapters of this book, episodes of this podcast, therefore, we've talked about the definition of friendship, with whom we should be friends, how to be the type of person who attracts friends into our lives, and the fact that while loneliness is an epidemic, we can defeat it by building friendships into our lives. All of which laid the perfect groundwork for then how do we cultivate friendships we already have in our lives. Right? It's not going to be enough to just call someone your friend if you're never growing that relationship. When we take time to think about it, we wouldn't say that we are friends with someone if we never give them the time of day. But honestly, this is what our busy lives are leading us towards. So then how do we cultivate friendship? First of all, we have to prioritize it. I think as someone who grew up in public school, this might be different for those of you who are homeschooled. But using my experience, a friendship has been harder to initiate and to grow as an adult than it was as a child. Because as a child, one of the faults of public school, but that's, <laughs> again, another podcast, um, as a child, I was always surrounded by people my own age, right? We just kind of unmanically friends. As adults, we have to be more intentional about friendship. We all have the same 24 hours in a day. We all have to learn how to best manage those 24 hours. And our time is really so telling. If we are interested, for example, in becoming fit, we're going to take time to go to the gym and to make healthy food. If we are interested in being fashionable, 
We're going to study what's trendy. We're going to go buy clothes that are trendy. We use our time, our commodity of time, for what is precious to us. As someone who has my degree in psychology, something super interesting I learned while doing research for this chapter was that sociologists have studied human connection and have come to the conclusion that we can have somewhere around 100 to 150 active connections at a time. To me, that's kind of mind-blowing. That seems like a lot of friendships to actively pursue. I will tell you, I do not have 100 to 150 friends I'm actively pursuing in my life right now. There are people from my past that I still love, but I'm not even in communication with on a regular basis. We might comment on each other's things on Instagram, but we're not actively building a friendship. Our past no longer crosses they once did, and therefore they don't have an active role in my life. We've heard that saying that the people who are in our lives right now may not be in our lives for five years from now. That can be sad. Like really, if you think about it, we love people. We should be celebrating the people in our lives. The Lord knows, though, the length of days. The Lord is in charge of how long different people are in our lives. And it's so I find it so beautiful just to think of how he weaves people in and out of our lives for certain seasons. There have been friends in my past who I needed for a certain reason in a certain season, but who now, really, more or less, are just memories. But how beautiful that the Lord brought two people across our paths. Kind of is a good lead-in for ending this podcast episode, this chapter, which I've talked about loving well. We're going to return to the metaphor which, with which we began, which was gardening. There is a strong parallel between gardens and relationships. If we are to cultivate friendship in our life, we have to have the space to do that. We have to, quote-unquote, have our soil ready so that something can grow. Any farmer will tell you that if the soil is not fertilized correctly, if there's something wrong with the soil, there's going to be something wrong with the plant. At the foundation of a healthy garden is the soil, which must be tilled and ready to bring forth life out of the seeds that are planted into it. As we continue to plant and grow our friendships, one of the most important aspects will be the love we sow into them. Love is what makes our world go around, and it is in loving our friends well that the life-giving friendship we so desire will blossom. Just like a crop, we're not going to have life-giving friendship just automatically spring up in our life without initiating it, without pouring into it. We have to be willing to prioritize friendship. That wraps up chapter four, you all. Next week, not next week, <laughs> two weeks from now, on the 30th, we will be talking about chapter five, which is answering the call of online friendship, which if we think about it, online friendship wasn't even a thing even 20 years ago. That's a little mind-blowing, but I'm super excited to dive into that chapter in two weeks, and we will talk soon. Have a good rest of your June.